Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running Shadow Dark by Kelsey Dion. It is an excellent, fun, old-school style, new-school sensibility role-playing game. Had a monster Kickstarter that it did, I think, earlier this year. Really fun system. Now about five sessions in or so, and we're having a really good time. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to all kinds of cool, exclusive features like a dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, a preview of the City of Arches sourcebook. Not, not, they actually get the City of Arches sourcebook. A bunch of exclusive adventures, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, and a whole bunch of other like tools and accessories to help you run your role-playing games. It's a really, really excellent deal, and most of all, the people that support me on Patreon help support shows like this. So to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much. So last week, we've been I've been kind of walking through the different styles of games and the different the different styles of what a Shadow Dark game has. So we started off like at the at the front of like a dungeon delve. And then they dealt with like a bunch of bandits in a ruined tower. Then they went below the tower and did a dungeon crawl, level one dungeon crawl, where they went to recover a strange idol. They recovered the idol. They GTFO'd. And then we did a hex crawl and we had them kind of hex crawling their way across the lands of the gloaming. I'm running this whole setting that I'm running in is the gloaming, which is the setting, the mini setting that exists inside Curse Scroll 1, which has been a lot of fun. I actually really like the very lightweight setting, very, you know, a lot of interesting places that you can fill out with your own stuff. Very easy to run. And, and then it's a matter of figuring out what hex crawls were like. And, you know, I'm shaking, shaking things loose, trying to figure things out while we're, while we're doing hex crawls. Uh, I started off making a mistake that I, I used the default scale of six miles per hex, and it turned out it's only two miles per hex. So I was making them do extra travel than they, than they needed to. So they started up here in area 102, which is the ruined tower. Then they made their way over to the road and traveled down the road. And we started off with like one hex equaling six miles, but you can see at the bottom lower right, it says one hex equals two miles. So it turns out they can cover three hexes in the amount of time I was having them cover one hex. Then there's the matter of rolling for a random encounter and or how often you should roll for a random encounter and things like that. And so, you know, I was figuring, figuring that part of it out too. There's a tricky bit because it's like one hex is two miles, but you roll for an encounter every three what was it? They can cover eight hours of travel. And I think you roll, it's in the book when I look it up. You can cover six miles in eight hours. So you've got that little bit of math. Then you check for a random encounter every three hours, which means in an unsafe conditions, it actually doesn't fit evenly into an eight hour day. So even though you're crossing hexes, and since it's three hexes per day, and you check every three hours, I was like, I guess I'm just going to check every other hex. <laughs> like, you know, trying to do the, the, the algebra to figure out exactly how often you should do a random encounter was a little like it. It's all based on hours and, and everything. Like, and everything shouldn't be perfectly divisible. But still, it was like, you know, I don't know how often you check for it. And another part, though, is I, I kind of wanted a little more. And I started thinking about what other things you want to do on a hex crawl. So I was trying to figure out what the steps were for a hex crawl. What are the things that you that you want to do? I actually ended up writing an article about this. Let me find it. 
So here are the steps that I came up with thinking about it for an article and also just thinking about what I, what I wanted to do. We can actually delete this section. And the steps were that at the beginning, you determine your destination, direction, distance, speed, and terrain. So where are you going? Where, where, where are you going? How long is it going to take you to get there? How far away is it? How fast are you going to be moving? And what kind of terrain are you going to be going over? Those are all the things that you decide. And you decide at the beginning of an entire journey. So you don't have to do that per hex. You just do it for the initial journey. Then each journey, you have the player select their role. Are you going to be a pathfinder, a scout, or a quartermaster? What role are you going to take? And this is for doing checks for things like getting lost or having your food spoil, if that matters, or finding, you know, sneaking up on monsters or having the monsters sneak up on you. I don't know that you need to do this in Shadow Dark. There really isn't anything like this in the hex crawling for Shadow Dark. And I was kind of thinking about this as sort of a general system for how you do overland travel. What are the steps for over, overland travel? So I don't know that we would do this. But you could, because it's all those things still have an effect in Shadow Dark. Right? You still want to know that you're going to find your way. You still want to scout, and you still want a quartermaster. So those, those three roles still feel like something you might want to do. Particular characters might want to fulfill particular roles based on what abilities they have. Now, a lot of it is going to be like wisdom. Like you're going to, you know, a lot of these are based on wisdom checks. Wisdom, I guess like intelligence and wisdom checks, but more so than any of the other ability scores that people have. Then each journey, you, you, you know, or, or if the ter terrain changes, you determine your danger level that's definitely a shadow dark thing where we look at the we look at the danger level is it unsafe risky or deadly you know what are you crossing and how often do you check for a random encounter is really what that comes down to then each day you determine the weather i made a 2d6 weather table here that i i wanted to build a little bit of a theme spoiler chat gpt and i but yeah you have sort of a 2d6 table that weighs more towards mild in the middle and then severe in the outside and has a bit of a theme that goes along with the idea of the gloaming so then each time each day that they go you kind of roll to see what's the weather like i really i like the doing the weather i think weather is a fun variable that you add into a hex crawl then each hex you determine the risk of getting lost if you're on a road you're not going to get lost so a lot of times you might say no you know your way you're not going to worry about it but if you say like oh you're wandering off in the woods you might roll to see like hey which way which way they go and then you can figure that each hex you roll to see if if you want you can drop in a monument so you know what's an interesting feature of the terrain that they might find along the way a ruined tower an old monolith a cairn you know a, a, a small you know overgrown cemetery stuff like that so you could come up with like different features that they find in each of the hexes even if the hexes don't have a feature you might throw something like that each dangerous period i.e at the periodicity of the danger you roll to see if there's a random encounter or signs of pre previous activity or signs of one yet to come so if it's dangerous and you roll an encounter and you get it you could you could roll it but if you feel like well it'd be kind of fun to throw something in here what you can do is even if the random encounter doesn't trigger you could still roll on the list to see what happened what came through here before and they could find tracks that way it shows that something had wandered by or they could see that there's something coming they could hear something breaking in the trees far away and know that it's coming this direction they could decide do we want to find out what that is do we just want to keep moving but that way they have the characters have a chance to deal with whatever's coming through and then each day you can check their uh, expended resources that they you know make sure they're, they're burning their rations that they're eating their food that whatever they needed in order to survive their travel they're going through so it's a this kind of a big process right it's now it's a big process but like three of the eight steps you do each journey 
right? So it's just from a destination to, or from, from current location to, to the furthest destination. You figure those things out once. You don't have to figure them out every hex. And then each day you do the weather. And then each hex you determine, each hex you determine like whether or not there's a random encounter or whether there's a risk of getting lost or anything like that. And you might skip some of these. So, but it, it gives a nice procedural list of like, here's what you do while you're crawling through a hex. I threw this up on the Shadow Dark Discord server. I also threw it up on my own Discord server. We've been chewing on it. I don't know if it's perfect yet. But I kind of like it, and I kind of want to run it next time we're doing we're doing hex crawl. Next time we're doing kind of hex crawl sort of stuff. So so that was kind of fun. So they did the hex crawl. They made their way to Wardenwood, the town. So along the way, they ran into Drusilla. I rolled on a random table. They were going to find a hag who was using pigs to search for truffles. And I said, well, we have a hag. We have Drusilla, who is a wheeled hag. So we'll have her. And so she's an old woman. And she's like, oh, I'm an old woman. Don't hurt me. And everyone's like, oh, an old woman wandering around in the woods. I'm sure she's just by herself. Like, I'm sure she's no risk at all. All right. And they immediately knew that she's like a bad person. And she, she's like, oh, I'll sell you healing potions. Right. So she sold them healing potions at half price, which also kind of cursed the, 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 the users of those. And she says, hey, the people in Wardenwood are all sick. They've got this weird sickness. Their skin is all sallow. You can start to, it's becoming transparent. They, they got these kind of problems. It's not really contagious, but people who stay in the town too long or live in the town, it's been, it's been pretty bad. And I have this big bundle of essential oils and herbs and special incense candles and things that I was going to bring to them to help them out. But if you want to bring it to them, I will, you can bring this to them. And I don't really like people anyway. I don't want to go there. I don't really like people. But if you take it to them and you take it to the village elder, I'll give you these healing potions. And I trust you to do it. And they're like, okay. And so they took it and they traveled to Wardenwood. They spent the night. We did the downtime, which didn't, you know, I know a lot of people have found the downtime activities to be a really, really fun. I don't know if I ended up kind of pushing it too much or the village of Wardenwood was just not the right place to do it, but it didn't quite resonate with me and my players as much as I thought it might. It was a way for them to use their, their experience points. But I, at least I had one player who was like, I think I'm just going to hang on to my gold, right? They were like, I don't know that it's really worth it because the dead detriment seemed pretty high for for what they've got like they're getting new enemies they're losing equipment they're losing stuff so we ran that and i'll probably i'm sure i'll do it again but it didn't quite click as much as i've seen it click with other groups who have run it so and i don't know that i ran it wrong exactly i think i ran it correctly and and maybe there was more of like letting the players describe what that situation was sort of their own little bit of world building so i don't know but that didn't work particularly well. And then what they learned throughout the night was, yes, the people here are sick. It only seems to be people who live here who are sick. Their skin gets all clammy and, and there's like, you know, they, 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 they sweat sort of an oil and like their bodies are breaking down and some people are worse than others. And they, through their investigation, they discovered this is coming because the well, the well is bad. So they went to the elder who's also sick, but not quite as sick as everybody else. And they talked to her and she said, I don't know what's going on with the well. Well's been there for a long time. There's a natural cavern underneath that's fed by a river and the river feeds into the well and everything's been fine for all this time. I don't know why that would be an issue. So they said, ah, I bet somebody's poisoning the well. Let's go down and find out. So they went down into the depths and we, that dropped us out of. So we've, we've now done like dungeon crawl or, or uh, the tower, I don't know, was really a dungeon crawl. But we, we've done the dungeon crawl beneath the tower ruins, then a hex crawl to get to warm the, the war, downtime activities in Wardenwood. And now back to a dungeon crawl in the caverns underneath Wardenwood. 
And that started us here in our, this is the map of the area under, under the well with this big lake. Now, one thing, so I'm using Albert Rodeo for this. And last time I had pontificated about how do you do, it would be really cool if there was a way to do a better lighting system. And people have talked about the fact that there are plugins that do dynamic lighting, but I figured out a really cool system for it, which I'm going to show right now because I think it's really great. So here's a great trick for figuring out how to do like a fun, not quite dynamic lighting, but a little bit of dynamic lighting that works really well for my Shadow Dark RPG. Because in my Shadow Dark game, I don't want to just uncover the things that they've explored. I actually want to give them essentially like a 30 foot radius of light that they can see from their token. And when they move it around, we know where the light is and all the other characters know they have to get to that light or else they're completely blind in the darkness. I also like the idea that it doesn't reveal the map. They have to map where they've been because the lighting moves away. They, don't, they won't see what was behind them. So they're getting this 30-foot lens view of this much larger dungeon. So this works really well if you want to have sort of a sinister, sort of you know, dark feel of that sort of focused light in the dark that doesn't just reveal the whole dungeon to them. This is more for like your grim or dark fantasy RPGs than it would be for your heroic fantasy RPGs, which you could still do it there too if you really wanted to. But for Shadow Dark RPG, it works really well. And I'm going to show you how to do it. So I'm here in Albert Rodeo. This is Albert Rodeo 2.0. I really like it. I dropped the Dyson map in here. I use Dyson maps for everything. The first thing we do, we go to our cloud tool, and the first thing we're going to do is fill the entire thing with fog. So now I can see it, but the characters can't. It's completely dark. And we want to have, so we have some characters here. We have Daisy and Morgath and Sirwin and Thalos and Bugjuice. And we're going to say that Sirwin has the torch. So we're going to do a quick measurement just to see how far it goes out. So it goes out about that far, right? That's about 30 feet. That's a 30-foot radius. So about halfway out to the middle of the lake. So then what we're going to do is we go back to our cloud feature. We're going to create a circle. And we're going to start it at Sirwin, and we're going to go out to about 30 feet, which is right about to there. And now we have this circle. But because we're using the multi-layer feature of the, of the cloud cover, it is an object. You can grab this 30 feet thing, and you can move it around. Now, of course, you're like, oh, so Sirwin moves, right? If we have Sirwin move, you'd be like, oh, Sirwin moves. Oh, but now i gotta move the, the, now I got to move the fog too, right? That's a pain in the ass. So, but here's what you can do. You can attach any object to any other object inside Albert. So we click on this and you see that little attach, right? The little link icon that says attach and you click that and then you click on the Druid. And now what you've got is the Druid is the one controlling the light. So now when the player moves their token, the light moves, right? And whatever they see is whatever the characters see, whatever the players see. The only problem that exists with this is in here you can see exactly how that works they can go up to these double doors and they can immediately see what's on the other side of the double doors so it doesn't block sight it doesn't block the sight of a wall they could literally see through walls they can see through areas that they normally wouldn't be able to see through so and you know and then they can see around corners right if they go here and they're like oh what's around that corner they go oh i see it's a bendy thing right they can go here and see there. So they can kind of see a little bit further than they should, given the lighting. So you kind of have to talk to your players about like recognizing that their characters don't necessarily see everything that their player sees. But the nice thing is you can do this completely without having to draw lines and outlines around your map in order to block lighting effects, which is something like Roll20 does, of course. But setting up dynamic lighting and moving and drawing the polygons around everything takes a lot of time. 
I think it's far easier to just not do that and instead talk to your players about not over you know, not metagaming too much and recognizing the fact that they can't see through the doors. The course, the players are going to be able to see through it, but that's okay. I think that's okay. In the meantime, I think it's really, really cool to have a token that's got a lighting effect attached to it and the character can move it and you don't have to move the lens around when the character, when the player is moving the token around. So that was a really neat trick. I've been doing that now. I did that for the end of the last dungeon and the beginning of this dungeon and it's worked really, really well. So they dropped down the well they started to explore. They immediately saw, hey, look, there's a door of worked stone. What's that about? And they went over and looked at it, and it was tied to one of the particular gods. Which god? There's a bunch of weird gods here. It was tied to Kytheros. I thought it was time to kind of introduce Kytheros as a god, the lord of time who sees all possible futures. Kytheros seeks the fulfillment of all destinies as they were meant to be. So like their holy symbol or their symbol is like a loom, right? The idea of like an interwoven loom with every thread on the loom is a timeline that is kind of interconnecting. And Kytheros is the father of, of Almazot, the wolf-headed archdemon with six eyes and six horns. Almazot seeks to wrest the sands of ages from his father, Kytheros. And Almazot is the kind of the, the, the prime deity whose worldly avatar is, is Undaluk, the fiend Undaluk, the marrow fiend. And I don't know like all the interactions of these three sort of deities but I'm beginning to start in my campaign, start to think about these different groups. You have Mug Mugdalblub is the living like god of oozes that exists in Bitter Mold Keep. I want to try to get them to Bitter Mold Keep. I think it'd be really fun. I want to do it before they get too high level. I guess it doesn't matter. And I guess then I'm kind of forcing the story. So maybe I don't. Maybe I maybe I won't worry about getting them to Bitter Mold Keep. But I think that that would be a fun area for them to go to. Then, so you have Mugdalblub, you have Undaluk. And, you know, Kytheros is there, but sort of in the background, you have the Knights of St. Yidris who are around. We have a lot of different factions kind of operating out of this, out of this, this place. We have the, the big wandering wooden guy whose name I forget. The Willow Man is kind of this neat, you know, weird creature that stalks through the woods. So there's all these sort of like different all of these different factions that are operating in and around the gloaming. And I don't think any of them, not few of them, maybe the Fae Queen is the only one who, you know, might, <laughs> might not be terrible for the land. So the idea that like the gloaming has become a battleground of these evil gods who have, you know, begun to manifest and pierce through the barriers of reality to kind of fight on this battleground. I think that's kind of an interesting an interesting theory to it, an interesting way to, to go, kind of an interesting larger story that's taking place here and have the have the characters sort of navigate that situation, trying to protect the people here from the threats that exist that are kind of looming in from the darkness. And it turns out it's not just a haunted wood, it's a battleground of gods, a battleground of dark gods, I think could be a, a really neat, a really neat kind of fun thing. So they went down here. They saw this door. They saw that it was connected with Kytheros, this time time god. And they, they were like, oh, let's go there. So they, they kind of went all the way into here. And they saw a bunch of crypts of worshippers of Kytheros and they, all these sarcophagi here. And they were like, you know, I, I, there's probably fantastic treasure in those sarcophagi, but we're not going to find out. That's not our goal. Let's not get involved in a bunch of stuff 
that isn't our goal. Our goal is to help the help the people of Wardenwood not be poisoned. Like, why don't we deal with that? So they left. They saw all this stuff and they're like, we're not getting involved. And they left again, which I thought was very shatter dark, right? Very old school. Like, let's, we know it's there. We can come back if we want, right? It's on the list, but we don't have to go there. They haven't yet gone to this temple across the way here to see anything that's there. And they haven't gone up the, the, the water yet. And I think it's right around this area where we're going to have the altar. Like, I think on that beach is where the altar is going to be, that there's going to be the sacrificial altar to Mugdalblub. And, you know, people there will have been churned into like, I don't know, weird things and their cursed essences are going into the water and then everyone's drinking the water and then they're, they're getting the same kind of disease. I think that that, I think that that is a nice straightforward way. Lots of places down here to explore, of course, lots of different locations that they could go, you know, statues of statues of, of things. I think, I think there's a lot of cool stuff they could do in just this dungeon. I don't know how much they're going to want to just crawl this dungeon and how much they're going to like solve the problem in GTFO and get out of here. So that brings up like a, you know, what's what's the history of this place? What are some of the things that they can find when they're exploring? Instead of sort of filling out every room of this map, which could take a significant amount of time, it's probably better to think about what other groups or, or people operated down here and keep that in mind. And then I can improvise what they find in the rooms as they explore the chambers, both with like random encounters, but also with like random bits of history or the discovery of secrets and clues or like I statues. Like what are these pillars, right? There's these ancient pillars down here. They've been, they're there forever, but the statue is much newer. You know, that could be interesting. You know, what what other things are they are they going to find? That worked well when I ran the ruins underneath the tower because it's like I didn't really expect that they would find three graves of three dead soldiers of the Green Knights, but they did. And that ended up being pretty cool. So we're going to bring up a new session planning template. We're going to generate a session planning template. We've got our new block. We put it in. Today is the 24th. We are going to review our characters. So we have Bug Juice, Buckminster, Bohannon, a dwarf wizard adept. He's a wolf child, the smartest dwarf you ever come across in the realms, according to them. They're a touch cowardly, scraggly beard young, and has a giant, the mother of all comb-overs. Sirwin is an elf priest seeker, outcast, and came to the gloaming looking for a new community. A priest of Getty, the elf god, seeking a new community. It's kind of average, a little rough looking between baths at the moment. Daisy is a goblin thief thug. Morrigan is an elf warlock who follows Shun the Vile. Her mother was a witch and was burned. She was branded. Marrow's hold branded Morgan with the mark of Shun so all would know. She seeks power and the money and the need to survive. She's thin and tall and looks like a lich. She's bringing the rattle of dry bones wherever she walks. Thalos is a dwarven priest healer, young for a dwarf, naive, an acolyte of St. Taragnus. Wants to kind of get out in the field, part of part of a traveling group, but they all died because of him, sort of aimless and, and not experienced in the top of the world. But really brings one thing about Thalos is Thalos really wants to do the right thing, even though like it's a dangerous world and lots of things always wants to do the right thing. And then we have Varro. Varro is a half-orc fighter and jeweler who held the door at the against the dire wolf that was wandering out in the woods and became a fan of the heroes and joined them when they saved his life when specifically thalos saved his life from getting eaten by a dire wolf so those are our six characters i don't know i know a couple of the players are out but i don't remember which ones so our strong start is oh something is coming something's coming out of the water i don't know what so a couple of a couple of cliche options are either a tentacled horror, 
just like in Lord of the Rings, or some like ghoul fish people, ghoul fish people. So the remnants of those who had floated downstream were sacrificed and they're, they've become these sort of like blobby, you know, blobby ghoul folk. That second one is probably, is probably fits a little bit better. The, and if we think about, okay, so then if we're going to think about what these guys are, we think about, well, how does this whole thing work? What's the, what's the situation? And I think the situation is that Drusilla has been bringing people, bringing villagers down here or even travelers down here and sacrificing them by convincing them to drink terrible concoctions and then conducting dark rituals that turn them into like blob folk. I think blob folk is pretty good. They, they die in the process and their bodies break down and decompose and she puts them into the water and they flow into the water and kind of some of them dissipate and turn into the other ones. Other ones, their bodies go down there and maybe it takes an amount of time. So maybe the well, and we can put this in a secret, right? We can, we can make all of these secrets. So do I have a Drusilla? I do. Drusilla, and she is a witch of the gloaming, right? She's an NPC, is sacrificing travelers at an altar to to Mugdoblub, the Elder Ooze. The bodies, Drusilla forces the ingestion of a terrible concoction she got from, and she picked this up out of, where's our, where's our keyed map? Out of Bitter Mold Keep, the concoction breaks down the sacrifices body and poisons the well. Those who drink from the well get a distilled, get a diluted version of the potion, their own bodies breaking down. So what does it take to cure? What does it take to cure the potion? So they can stop the sacrifices by stopping Drusilla and ending the sacrifices. They slow down the poison, the disease, but they don't end it. We could have an artifact, another artifact. Is there anybody we know that could take? So let's see, some possibilities are that they could kill Mugdoblub and end the curse. Another thing could be that they have to get, this kind of would be more fun. They have to get a sample from Mugdoblub. They have to get like a core sample from the original source to make a cure. A cure could be just could be concocted from a pure sample of Drusilla's potion, which can only be acquired from its source at Bitter Malt Keep. So that's not bad. That, that gives us a good, a good drive to get to Bitter Mode Keep. So now, so I got some secrets about, about Drusilla and what she's doing. Now I want to put some secrets here. So uh, some secrets about the other things that they might find here. So what else happened in these caverns below? Cultists of Kytheros. I think cultists of priests built a tomb for their own down in these chambers. It was here where the cult of Almazat broke, I think Almazat is a, broke away from the priests 
of Kytheros. Almazat was intended to be a creature spawned by Kytheros to destroy the worlds and timelines that didn't meet goals, right? So you have this, this is getting into some crazy metaphysical stuff. So hang on with me, get ready. So Almazat is a god who likes to look at all of the different possible timelines that are zipping around the universe. This is some real like spoiler Loki. If you watched the last season of Loki, there's some stuff like this in here. So there's all these different possible venues and possible timelines that are going on. And Almazats can see them all. But even Almazat says, look, some of these just don't go right. They go bad. And if I just let them spawn and run free and roll forward, I'm just going to be crudding up the multiverse. It's just going to be getting messy. So Kytheros creates Almazat. And Almazat is a devourer of worlds, right? And it's in impression, it's... It is a devourer of worlds. It sees with six eyes, so it's able to see timelines as it goes. And it cleans up the mess. It goes back there and cleans up the timelines that, that went bad. And the cult of Almazat believes all of it is bad. So the cult of Almazat is like, we want to bring Almazat to this world because this world is cursed. That might be cool, kind of neat, right? The cult believes it is the destiny of this world to be devoured and seeks the coming of the God. Now, Almazat has a herald, the herald called a physical being that sort of paves the way, gets rid of the problem before Almazat comes to destroy it. And that being is the Undaluk, the herald of Almazats, who seeks to prepare the world for Almazat's coming. Right? So that, that seems, yeah, so, right. So Undaluk is actually Silver Surfer, only bad and milky and weird. So those are all things that they could learn down here. And there's other faction stuff that they could learn here too. I don't know if they need to. So an example would be the Knights of St. Yidrith believe that by, that only by taking on the curse of St. Yidrith, the curse of the darkness, can they battle back the forces of Almazat and save this world? So we have the Knights of St. Yidrith that are there as well. I don't, we haven't really dropped in the fairy stuff yet. So I don't know. I think, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's, that's plenty of secrets. That's good. Scenes we're not really going to worry about, right? Because we know, we know where it's going to start and then they're going to explore. So I'm not going to worry too much. I don't, I don't need to outline any scenes for this. So that's a section that we can just dump. Locations we have, this is the, the, the Caverns of the Wardenwood Well, oh, which I already have there. I don't need to, which I have right there. We have the Village of Warden ones, the Ruins of Marrow I no longer need. We can, we can remove that from current. Twisted Marrow Tree was a, was a thing that I wanted them to see. So that's pretty good. I love that somehow I still have lack in here. Delete permanently. I don't know why lack. Oh, lack is showing up because it's in my template. So these are good. I do have, I do have Drusilla as a current NPC, but I don't have to worry too much about managing NPCs. Monsters. So I still want to go back to my ooze monsters. There's no benchmark for this. I can remove that. I should probably do some editing of my editing of the template. Maybe we'll get around to that. 
but really I want to have them so we we know what they're like do they have ghouls let's take a look at shadow darks monsters and see what kind of monsters kind of make sense abolus acolytes you know i'm going through the normal critters here now one important point and this is a this is important for any role-playing game i think this works just as well in 5e as it works in shadow dark is you may be tempted and and it's not a terrible temptation. You could you could do worse. That if you're if you're going to reskin a monster, if you find a monster that you like, and you're like, well, I, I have this envisioned mind, which is dead creatures that are ooze like. You're tempted to make the mechanics fit that. Oh, I have to give them an ooze trait. I have to make them do ooze things. And the reality is, you 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 don't. That in your descriptions of their attacks, in your descriptions of how they defend against attacks. In the flavor that you bring to a creature, you can make it anything you want. And you don't have to add specific mechanical bits that fit that. An example, so like the zombie, I think, you know, one thing is we could use zombies because that's more what they are. They're not really ghouls. Let's take a look at the ghoul. Grayscreen slavering undead with whipping tongues and flat reptilian faces. They're level two. So, you know, AC 11, hit point 11, a claw, 2d6, and they can paralyze. The paralyze doesn't really make sense, but it, it could, right? Ghoul, they, these things could be like ghouls, so we could just use that straight. That's terrifying. Zombies, let's take a look at zombies. Because these things are more like zombies, right? They're, 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 this, this fits closer. AC8, hit points 11, they slam for D6. They're immune to morale checks, they're relentless. If reduced to zero by a non-magical source, DC15 con to go to one hit point instead. So they can make a con check to survive. These sort of like weird sallow creatures coming out of the ground. I mean, that, I think the zombie is probably a better fit. Actually, they're the same level as a ghoul too. They, they slam. They only do one slam attack, but I, think, I guess it's because of the immunity to morale and the relentless is why they're level two. But I think that there is a bunch of zombies in there. And so monsters, zombies. But these are, what are we calling them? Ooze cursed, ooze cursed sacrifices, right? Is that what I... I, I call them ooze folk, but that makes them sound like they have a little village, right? Ooze folk. Oh, those are the ooze folk. No, they're nice. But the ooze curse sacrifices, which are zombies, I think fits. How many? So here's where we get all shadow darky about it. So if we were going to look, let's look at like shadow dark and let's look at the encounter chit tables. Do, do, do. Game master. Random encounter tables. And we'll do tomb, because it's kind of like a tomb, right? And we'll look for where the zombies are. Arctic encounters, 2d6. 2d4 sounds right. I'm probably going to do 3d8 zombies. Whoa, that's a lot of zombies. We're going to do 2d4. 2d4 zombie sounds right. Where is my four-sided die? Oh, there it is. Ooh, I thought I lost my four-sided die. How many zombies is it going to be? Here we go. One zombie. Three zombies. So it is three zombies. Three zombies is totally manageable. That should be pretty straightforward. I don't think they're gonna have trouble with that. But we will go to our notes and we will fire it up. And we will say three zombies, three ooze cursed sacrifices. And we've got enough. That might be kind of easy for them, but we'll see. And there might be, there's treasure, let's see, down in the lake, in the, in the well water, but calls up an additional we're gonna i like i like two two four 
zombies, which is 1d3 plus 1. I like that because it, it, it bounds it a little nicer, right? 1d3 plus 1, right? It's at least 2 and as many as 4. And it is 2. 2 more zombies. So that's kind of fun. That way they, 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 they might see shiny bits and discover that there's treasure down there, but the, in order to get so, they'll have to find some more zombies. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back, and then we will clean up our prep and make sure everything is good. There's a couple things I want to figure out. One is I said no scenes, but I do believe it's important to figure out where the characters might go to next. Like where, you know, if they finish dealing with the situation here, where are their options on where they can go to next? And it could be face. So they still have this idol and they know that there are certain gates that they have to close using the idol. One of them I think is with the bandits at the bandit camp. So one area they could go is Greaves, the camp of Greaves Redthorn, right? That could be one thing that they do. Another thing they could do is go to Mugdalblub to Bittermold Keep to recover. Uh, the motivation to go face Grieve Redthorn is to close the gate using the idol. They have closed, I think there were three gates and they closed one of them. Two more to go. What else could they do? Hunt down Drusilla if they didn't find her or raid her cabin for clues about the curse. They could, what other, if we look at the map, what are some other places that they could go? There's the, they have the, the, the green knights. So the, they have the remains of the green knights to take back to their castle, which is where? The Meyer Castle ruins to get their emerald blade, right? The Meyer Castle ruins are 1308, which is pretty far. That's a good distance. It's a travel from all the way. They could make their way. They could see lots of different sites on the way. Any other immediate things uh, that they would that they would want to do? Um, let's take a quick look through the locations to see if anything jumps right out. The troll cave. I don't really need to deal with the troll cave. The whites. They already passed that by and decided not to do it. Drizilla's hut is near Warden Wood. The mossy men menrears. Not that could be interesting, but they don't really have to. I don't know. That's not th that's not too big. We got Warden Wood. We have the Outlaw Camp. We have Bitter Mold Keep. Uncle Grigor is not something they need to go see. The Stone Circle. That could be a cool thing to see. Haldren's Tower. The Barrow Mounds. Marin's Hole. They don't want to go to that place. The Bone Cave. Boot Hill. The Orc Village. I think those are good. I think those are some good next steps for where they can go to next. And with motivations for why to do each of those things. So I've got next steps. The other thing I want to think about, so there's one other, when I talk about monsters, the only other encounter, and I think it will be, if we go back to our map, up at the altar would be the hag. She's there. She's a wield hag. I don't, is a wield hag a monster? The wield hag, level six. So who should we, who should she have with her? She probably has guardians with her probably slimes right a gibbering mouther would be that'd be pretty awful i don't think we'll put that there ochre jellies primordial slime that's gray oozes she probably has a couple of gray oozes yeah that looks right we'll do two to f for funsies we will roll ahead of time i like i tell you the 1d3 plus one is really good right 
only two. That's again, I rolled a one and a two. That's for protectors. Any other sort of fixed encounters that I see in this map? Or am I going to just kind of roll randomly or, or go with it? I think we'll just go with it. Is there like animated armors? Yeah, so animated armors. I think there's like animated armors of Kytheros would be pretty cool. And I know I just said that you don't have to give them an extra thing, but I think I might give them an, an ability to reroll. They can call back, they can pull back time and try again. I think that's a fun, a fun trick. So I think we're all set. I feel pretty good about this. It, it, Shadow Dark is, is pretty easy to prep for. I, I like it. It's, it's pretty easy, pretty easy going. I know I talked about like the trouble of turn tracking and torch tracking and stuff like that. That actually hasn't been too terrible. That turn tracking, I just keep track of it in a, in a little text editor. I've got a text document that I keep open while I'm running my game. I use that for initiative. I use that for tracking all kinds of things. But one of the things I can do is do turn tracking in there. And then I use my phone and I set a timer for an hour. I don't tell the players. They often set a phone too. So we usually have two because I'm not going to tell them when it's going to run out. And that works well for torch timing as well. There's a cool website. So a couple of websites that I want to share before I go. One is uh, Shadow Darklings, which I used for my zero level adventures, is now an official character builder for Shadow Dark. Uh, you can generate your characters right on it. You can design a character. You can randomly roll. You can do a thing called best fit where it builds a character where the class best fits you can determine which sources you want to include. Do you want to include, include Curse Scroll 1 or not? It gives you the output. You can export the results to a, a, a pretty good-looking PDF. And, and even to JSON, which apparently there's a plugin inside Albert Rodeo, so you can drop it into JSON. I haven't tried that. I don't think I'm going to bother. I, I, I think handwritten sheets are also really cool. But this is really, if you want to whip up a character like in five, literally under five seconds, you can, you can do it here on Shadow Darkling. So that's really cool. Friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today while I prepared for my Shadow Dark game. If you enjoyed this show and you want more stuff like this, the best way to see the stuff that I do is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. There is a link in the show notes. You get a free Adventure Generator PDF for signing up. You also get a free weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox that includes links to all of the other stuff that I do, whether it's videos or podcasts or whatever else I'm doing. You can also support me directly by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to all kinds of cool, exclusive features. The City of Arches sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets 1 and 2, dedicated Discord server, the monthly Q&A, and a whole bunch of other exclusive stuff that you get for signing up. And you can pick up any of my books, including Return to the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's Companion, and the Lazy DM's Workbook, all in uh, at the Sly Flourish bookstore. Links for all of those are in the show notes. Thank you all so much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.